Hello. This is the Homeless in Aspen show on Grassroots TV. I'm Vince Savage, the director of the Aspen Homeless Shelter. And I always like to start off by saying that uh, we've been around for over 10 years as the Aspen Homeless Shelter. And with a mission of very first thing is we just want to make sure nobody freezes to death in the winter, which has happened in this valley in past years, not, not under our watch. Our second uh, mission is to try to make sure nobody goes hungry. Um, we want to make sure that, that there's always a healthy meal every night and snacks throughout the day for people. And then in addition to those two basic missions, we are always happy to try to give everybody who finds themselves without a home, someone sleeping rough as it's called, a hand up into the mainstream. And that can include the fact that we have laundry facilities, showering facilities, uh, a private dedicated phone line that's not answered homeless shelter. So for people looking for work, it's more like somebody calling them would think they were just getting a roommate on the phone or something like that. And uh, a number of other case management things, you know, almost whatever problem somebody may have that's getting in the way of them finding housing. We do a lot of triage and referral to the Aspen Counseling Center, to any other kind of agency, economic assistance, so on, because our overall goal is to try to get as many people as possible mainstreamed and back into housing. Our current donors, uh, which are basically Douglas Elliman Real Estate and the Little Nell Hotel, as well as Aspen Valley Hospital, uh, several of the churches, and about 10% of our funding comes from the Healthy Community Fund, we have an unwritten promise to take care of our local homeless. Uh, many people donating are happy to help our local people, people with a history here, people with work history here, uh, family, uh, some of whom may have even been born at Aspen Valley Hospital or graduated Aspen High School. Uh, but we have promised most of our donors that we're not about creating a destination resort for homeless people to come from everywhere. About 80% of our homeless population works. Uh, however, the reason they're still homeless is because there's a pretty big hump or a barrier to entry even to get into the most affordable uh, APSHA housing. So um, our purpose is really to be an emergency stopgap shelter, not a place where people come and stay for years as a substitute for what we should call sustainable permanent housing. But today I've got two guests that really know a lot about what homelessness is about on the ground. Um, I've got Brian Hadley, who's a ranger supervisor for open space and trails for Pitkin County, and Brian Long, who's with the city in the same kind of a role. So uh, Price and Brian, uh, welcome. And uh, I just wanted to start off with one little idea here <clears throat> about how people maybe use the woods. Um, we find that in our American culture, there's a long history of people going west whenever life got stressful or cramped for them. They'd buy a Conestoga wagon, a dog and a gun, and head west to where more opportunity and where things, you know, even land given away for free. So I like to think of that metaphor somewhat in terms of our people who find themselves in Aspen but aren't able to quite make the ante to get into housing. So I think one of the ways people do that, legal or illegal, is to head to the woods. So I thought since you guys, um, is that's, that's definitely your uh, bailiwick, 
I thought I'd start start off by asking you, so what is the problem, you know, with people ca camping in the woods? Well, Vince, thanks so much for having us. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Price is uh, the ranger supervisor with Pickin County Open Space, and I am the ranger supervisor for City of Aspen Open Space, and we work um, rather <laughs> tightly together on um, on looking after resource protection on uh, properties owned by our respective programs and a whole lot of properties that are co-owned by our programs. Um, we enjoy a really, a really robust partnership between our boards and our staff work at a very close level um, to try and have, as far as the public is concerned, it's pretty seamless. So what you're saying is open space, people don't have to worry whether they're in the county open space or city open space because you guys coordinate and handle things somewhat the same, right? That's the idea. Yeah, Some, there's a property sign somewhere that'll tell you which one it is, but... Or a map. <laughs> on the ground, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty seamless. Um, and the properties both of our programs have acquired are largely um, in the valley floor and close to, close to society. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you fly over Aspen at night, it's, you realize that we're in a sea of darkness, and mm. it's just this tiny little populated area. And um, I've, you know, often pondered like at the philosophies of our programs, like why why is there a need for the trail system or the parks or the open space when there's so much national forest land surrounding us? But <clears throat> the reality is that a lot of the lands we provide and a lot of the recreational opportunities we provide are what's right at hand for people and where where they get their a, a lot of their recreational experience. So it's not just the vast blackness you see uh, flying over at night, but there's the developed trails and mm -hmm. other things like yeah, that. Yeah, so part of, part of what we have to deal with in being the managers of those lands closer to society is that those lands are sort of the first, um, <clears throat> the first net that some of the homeless populations fall back on when they're trying to find a place to uh, to make a camp in um, you know in a nook or a cranny out of the public view right around the city of Aspen our programs own those those nooks and crannies and those mm -hmm. are those are the places that we look after and these are the lands that are closest to our transit you know routes closest to you know, any of the services that any member of the public would would value. Um, they're a lot more convenient, um, you know, destinations for for people if they're, you know, looking for somewhere to camp. Um, and I, I just want to step back and say that, you know, our programs are really built on attempting to provide a high quality visitor experience for a diverse array of people. We have people that, that live here, that we have tourists that come from around the world, and we're trying to serve those clientele um, all on a pretty small postage, postage stamp sized yeah. um, system. So we definitely we recognize, you know, the, the, I guess, intrinsic right of people to be out on their public lands, enjoy them, but at the same time, there are certain regulations that are put, that have been put in place since 1990 for the county program um, with the intent to protect the investment of the taxpayer, protect the natural resources, the wildlife habitat, uh, and, and continue to provide for that um, that special experience that people have come to expect when they come to the And that's an interesting concept you bring up, the whole concept of public lands. Mm -hmm. Because we have clients who like to tell us that they're in a public building when they're over in the Health and Human Services building where our day center is. And because of that, by their reasoning, they can do whatever we want, or whatever they want, and we don't have any 
reason to give them any rules or guidelines for behavior, but I'm sure both of your organizations have just those things in place, some rules and guidelines. And even though our homeless population are also members of the public, uh, the visitor or the second owner or the resident of uh, Aspen that is in housing isn't likely to be out breaking those rules by camping too long or camping at all, I guess. No, but they may be breaking some of our other rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, like we're, uh, we're asking them to put the dogs on leash. And, teasing and, moose and until you get charged. Teasing or, moose yeah. is absolutely for <laughs> It's never a good idea. Um, you know, but everybody's, everybody is expected to pick up after their dogs and to have dogs... Um, leashed when that's when that's the rule which is just about always unless yeah. there's you know in some of aspen's parks we allow watchful off-leash play but we hold we hold a lot of the public to to a, a framework of rules which is an important point you're not just mm -hmm. here just to hassle homeless people absolutely no. not but sometimes um, i think some homeless people perceive, perceive that every authority figure is there to get in their way right? yeah, i mean that's understandable given a lot of people's background of experience. We really try to train our staff to treat everybody on, you know, to as much as they can on that even, um, with an even and fair, um, you know, ethic. You know, yeah. we're trying to engage the, the billionaire that might be out on Hunter Creek Trail in the, with the same level of respect as we may, um, you know, somebody that we're contacting that's living down by the Roaring Fork River in an informal yeah. camp. But there's a history here, I guess. You said since the 90s, uh, some of these rules have been more codified or clarified. And uh, there are people that have been around here so long. There was the lady whose full name I won't mention, but she was in her late 70s and was camping for 18 years up on the Lanny White Trail mm -hmm. near the beginning of that. And, uh, and they sent me up there when I first started this work thinking, you know, well, Vince can talk to her. He's a psychologist. And uh, it was quite interesting. Her perception was that she'd been there longer than anybody, and she had a right to be there. And even when we kind of confronted her with the fact that the private land she had been on had gotten sold to, I think, the city or the county, and therefore she had to start abiding by some rules, she said, well, can't I be a trail monitor and pick up gum wrappers and tell people which way it is to Hunter Creek Trail? And, and we just had a hard time trying to make that curve in the road with her that you know, things have changed. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I wanted to ask you guys uh, is what has changed recently? It seems like just in the last year or two we've had a lot more consciousness, maybe some pressure from somewhere to enforce things more rigidly. I, mean, I think what we're seeing you know, in this state is you know, a factor of population growth. I mean, we have oh. greater visitation, we have greater resident population. I mean, the the area is growing, and I think that puts greater um, pressure on the agencies that are tasked with being responsible stewards of, of the public lands um, to make sure that the behavior out there, when it's being magnified, multiplied many, many times by you know, the half million visitors or so that we get to um, county open space, that we're, we're doing that in a responsible manner, trying to limit impact while preserving people's freedom to enjoy that system. Because if it's a free-for-all, people who come here to enjoy Conundrum or Maroon Creek or even Hidden Lake, or Hanging, Hanging Lake, Hanging Lake. <clears throat> they don't have the experience that they're really coming for. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense on a practical yep. level, too, to protect it and kind of mollify how many people use it. Mm -hmm. 
Are there any other reasons that I know I've been I talked at length with some of the county officials a couple of years ago about the worry about fire danger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Lake Christine, Lake Christine Fire was a really important wake-up call for a lot of people in the valley to the <coughs> risk of fire in our communities. Um, and of course that extends to, um, you know, our thinking about camps on open space. Um, you know, when you are living in a campsite, informal campsite without infrastructure, you know, any way to dispose of your waste or heat your tent or think, you know, things like that, you're going to have fires, you're going to have other potential hazards that um, could start a wildland fire. And that, and there's a lot of precedent for that on the front range. The Cold Springs fire in Boulder County is one example that was started um, evidently by a unattended campfire in a, in a camp off of Peak to Peak Highway. So there's a lot of concern, um, fear, I guess, that um, these camps could spark something like that. And that was, you know, definitely brought to the surface in, you know, the last summer due to the really dry conditions. It does seem that the concerns are valid, yet I think you get disagreement from various stakeholders when you talk about what the solution is. Mm -hmm. I know when I first talked to some of the municipal heads in Pitkin County, a year and a half ago about the fire danger. I said, well, our guys aren't crazy. They're not stupid. Well, you know, most of them aren't. And uh, we can have them not build fires. We could buy them little safety alcohol stoves and stuff like that. But that idea didn't go very far. It seems like the, the drift from county officials is they just want to have a place for homeless people to go, not camping on public land in the warm months. And there's, you know, yeah. a, a, you know, a range of impacts from camping, and uh, if you're going to touch on that. but I, I, I always wanted to, you know, mention that I, agreeing with you, Vince, in the majority of camps that I've visited or cleaned up over, over 12 years um, mm -hmm. have not had a fire ring or a fire scar. Um, the majority of camps that I've come across are, are quite minimal. They're just sleeping. And they're just sleeping. <laughs> and, and there's a, there's often a tent, and um, <clears throat> unfortunately, there's 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 quite often uh, a good deal of litter and, and and human waste around. But others others are better about that and keep a real a real tight thing that they may bundle up each day and move on with, and and you, you didn't even know they were there. But um, there's only a handful over the years that have had a fire scar. It's it's that's not the norm. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen um, really obvious fire risk in some camps. I remember going to a camp in the Shale Bluffs area that had maybe a half dozen propane tanks, and it was evident that at one point, when I was looking at the structure, that a candle had been knocked over, melted, partially burned part of the structure. And this is in an area right below Highway 82 it's on a airport bad range. There, space. Right? So it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, while many people are responsible, just like any other subset of the population, there's still an inherent risk. And, you know, we have seen small fires in the valley related to camps, like down in Glenwood Springs, above Walmart. There have been small fires sparked down there, you know, caused by unattended fires in those camps. Yeah, I knew a guy who had worked for Feed My Sheep down there, and he was homeless himself. And he was up there on the hillside behind Walmart where a lot of people used to camp. And he got up there and started a fire one night, but he wasn't much of a Boy Scout, and he's used a lot of green twigs and stuff to start the fire and created a lot of smoke. So the rest of the guys who were camping up there were ready to kill him because he brought the county mounties and the fire department and everybody up there thinking there was a forest fire started, and all it was was a guy that didn't know how to build a good Native American fire out of dry twigs. <coughs> 
And, you know, in addition to the fire risk, we also see, as, as Brian mentioned, you know, large amounts of trash that don't get cleaned up on their own. That requires taxpayer dollars to yeah. send people like Brian and I down there with, you know, thick rubber gloves to pack out, you know, sometimes, you know, a dozen contractor bags, garbage bags. Yeah. I mean, one day I had to actually handline a boat across the Rain Fork River to haul out eight contractor garbage bags. So, you know, there's a cost, um, you know, both in terms of impact on the natural resources and cost to our programs to clean up the impacts of some of these camps. Uh, in addition to that fire danger, you know, there are also occasionally hazard, you know, hazardous items in these camps like syringes or um, you know, things like that that are just not pretty and, um, you know, we, we have to take into account. Um, you know, and, and probably when we got into this line of work as rangers, it was something that we didn't anticipate. You've forgotten about those irresponsible camping people, whether they're homeless people or anybody yeah, camping. Yeah, anybody can be irresponsible, for sure. Do you feel like um, there's been a more recent mandate for you to crack down or uh, do anything differently? Or? I don't feel that way in, in, in the city open space mm -hmm. organization at all. We've, uh, you know, from, from the very get-go, there's been no camping allowed on our properties, and, and that's, yeah. that's the ranger's job to, to enforce that. But uh, there's always been a whole lot of support from above in us handling that in the most empathetic way that we can and in the most humane way we can and, and with a light What's hand. your most frequent source of, of complaints or awareness that there's something on it? You just happen across people or does some hiker call you up and say, you know, there's a couple of guys camping up there. It looks like they've been there all summer. It's about 50-50. Yeah, I'd say it's a mixed 50 -50. bag. I mean, a lot of these camps... Um, I mean, it seems like half of them or, or maybe more of them are in pretty obvious places um, near, you know, transit, near um, stores, near, you know, all the services that we would want. Um, but then there are also a subset of those camps that are in very hard-to-reach places that are, you know, only found if rangers come across them or if, like, fly fishing guides call yeah. us. Or <clears throat> I've even had a paragliding guide who had seen one from above let us know. We have often talked about the moral dilemma that we are in, the staff and I that run the homeless shelter, because people who find themselves homeless will think, well, gee, where do I, you know, what do I do at night in the warm months of the year? And we've had to tell them, well, you know, we can provide you with sleeping bags and tarps and things like that, but we're fully aware that we're kind of advocating that they break the rules. So that's kind of a moral dilemma for us, but what we do is we revert to our primary mission which is we want them to be able to sleep somewhere where they can stay warm and dry, and then we'll keep kicking the can down the road, as being said a lot lately, uh, as to how to solve this problem in the long term. Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we don't have a year-round place for people to sleep indoors. And I've done a lot of focus groups with our homeless population and discovered that even if we did, there's a large number of people who don't want to do that. You know, they said uh, colorful ways of saying it, like why would we want to be in a cramped in a little room um, with a bunch of guys that are snoring and other things mm -hmm. uh, when we could have the dignity of having our own pleasant campsite properly maintained and properly, you know, administered, so to speak, uh, instead of having to wait till 9 or 10 o'clock at night to come in and get up at 5.30 to get out. We could, yeah. after work, go by the day center, shower, have a good meal, and then go up and read a book 
until time to go to sleep and then wake up when we feel like it, get to work. Um, so I keep, I have an insight about what some of the people's motives are. Mm -hmm. They aren't just looking for ways to break rules. They're trying to meld the rules into what works for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, you know, in, in the perfect world where we had the, let's say a year-round shelter or a, a, a great, a great safety net all ready to go for folks year-round. Even so, there would be some clientele that would that would seek that freedom and seek to be uh, making a camp <clears throat> in in a place where 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 they think they can uh, be Get in away a, a nook it. or a cranny yeah. and 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 legitimate or not. Yeah. Not not be bothered, but uh, that's. Um, it, it seems like that will always be a part of our role to, to, to be enforcing the, the no camping policy on the, on the open space lines. Yeah, in addition to like that desire for freedom and you know, being able to you know, go by, you know, live how you want to live, there's- you My know, great granddaddy lived in <laughs> these hills sort of attitude. Mm -hmm. it, it's not totally out to lunch, you yeah. know, it's like, okay. And there, but there's also you know, things that play like mental illness and substance abuse disorders, and we've seen plenty of that in these camps. And, you know, people perhaps in some cases who are um, not, maybe not functional enough to access some of these services yeah. or maybe not they have a hard time behaving, meeting some of the standards, I guess, that, that they'd be required to well, follow and to be Well, you bring up a great point because mm -hmm. even in our population of day center users and our winter overnight users, there's an old, you know, the 80-20 rule in business, you know, that 20% of your people bring you 80% of the profits and also... 20% of your people cause you 80% of the problems, and that's kind of the way it is with us. We have a, a really good group of people that find themselves homeless, whether it's recently or longer term, who get it. You know, they don't bite the hand that feeds them. They try to live by the rules. They chip in, do a chore. Mm -hmm. But there are those people, and sometimes it is alcohol and drug addiction, and sometimes it is just mental health or what I like to call attitudinal impairment. <laughs> like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Um, that cause us a lot of the difficulties. And we're in this other dilemma of if we, we have a sign on our wall that says, here's our basic motto, be nice or leave. And if we can't get people by whatever kind of psychological jujitsu we know to kind of behave and be part of the group and be helpful, uh, a group of peers, so to speak, then we may have the only leverage left would be to say, you can't be here. And at that point, then we're risking them putting back in your, you know, handbasket of problems, mm -hmm. or the uh, law enforcement per se's, mm -hmm. you know, uh, bailiwick. So we are aware of these difficulties, but we've never been able to completely figure out an uh, airtight solution. Mm -hmm. No, and, and it's, uh, it's something we acknowledge when we, when we make these contacts. Uh, we don't have we don't have the solution for these folks. We don't have the, the, the perfect place to, to sell them, oh, it, and there's it's no so problem. Much, you just go. You just go. There's here so much variety in the persons yeah. and the personalities and their situations. I mean, some have cars they can sleep in, mm -hmm. but where can they actually park? Yeah. You know, we have had problems down at the intercept lot of, ironically, guys getting so close to the bus stops because they wanted to take advantage of the Wi-Fi, that that was scaring some of the people who were just waiting for the bus. Mm -hmm. And at one point, Rafta even suggested, well, we could put in stronger Wi-Fi, and they can <laughs> move back there behind the intercept lot and be a little further away than the bus riding public, yeah. and problem solved, right? 
And I'm wondering what you guys think about the idea of a designated camping area for homeless people, because I know some communities, Las Cruces, New Mexico, for one, that has just that. They've got about a two or three acre place that's fenced in to keep the people safe as well as keep it under control. And uh, it's a little warmer down there in the winter, but it still snows. And they have uh, it all set up, and it's run by homeless people themselves. It's all mm -hmm. self-policing. If somebody gets in there that's dealing drugs or going crazy somehow, they'll all just come over and say, hey, you know, you're blowing it for the rest of us. But I'm wondering if that, in your estimation, would be a temporary solution or an interim solution somewhere between full-time, year-round room somewhere in a building versus a place where people could go and camp. There would be a lot of advantages to that. Uh, there would also, of course, be a lot of challenges. Um, neither of our programs philosophically is set up to, to address um, or handle that. We'd have that to rewrite of some of the We'd rules and some the of the rules. procedures. Well, um, even in the charter that dictates like how some of these taxes that fund you know, open space acquisition and management, you know, they put limits on, on how these lands can be used. So there are legal barriers to that as well. But um, would, would, having, would having a designated spot and a designated you know, camping area that you know, could be looked after by some sort of staff yeah. and um, you know, have the, the knowledge of the law enforcement community to know right where to go if there was an issue, yeah. would that be preferable to the sort of cat and mouse game that we find ourselves forced into? It, it, in a way, that's, <clears throat> that is more attractive. It might be, and it, it might be preferable to the idea of what I call running a shelter in some church basement where it's really kind of like balancing teacups on your knees in a bathtub mm -hmm. because you're in and out you got to be in at a certain time, out at a certain time. You're dealing with somebody else's space. Mm -hmm. It may be one big room, difficult to separate men from women, difficult to separate parents with children. But we're so much, so close to out of time, I'm going to have to promise to have you guys back sometime, tell some more stories you have about all this. Um, I personally believe, kind of duh, the solution for local homelessness is local housing. And w one of the gaps we have is that other than the homeless shelter emergency, sh you know, homeless emergency shelter, our organization, there's no place to graduate people to mm -hmm. that's truly affordable, truly low cost. And APSHA does its best to keep the workforce people housed, yeah. but for people that are just clawing their way up, it's difficult. As, yeah, as you say, that's a big jump. There's, yeah. there's a gap There's there. a bunch of rungs to the ladder missing, yeah. and you have to jump halfway up the ladder. And I think get a hole. one thing that kind of connects to all this is that homelessness is it's a social and community issue, and we really need to be thinking about addressing it as, at that social yeah. and community level. Yeah. It takes you know all of us you know, and the agencies that we represent working together to be able to come up with solutions to this problem. Um, and we've got some, you know, we're making some progress with some of the discussion that's happening in the community now, but it can't be solved alone by, you know, open space programs. And The dialogue is progressing. Yeah. And I hope we get to some points where some very practical uh, solutions are coming here, not, you know, before too long. Um, I just want to remind our viewers that on July 27th and August 17th, we are at the Saturday market with a... Uh, with a tent where people can make donations, get free lemonade, and buy our nifty T-shirts, which I still didn't get up here at the table this time. Um, but at any rate, um, 
we like to, you know, we like to have people stop by and also remind them that we've got a major annual fundraiser coming up at the uh, base of Ajax Mountain, at the base of the gondola, Ajax, um, <clears throat> at the Ajax, um, what's it called? Ajax Tavern. Ajax Tavern, thank you. <laughs> Sponsored by the Little Nell and also Douglas Elliman Real Estate. So it's easy to eat up the time when guys as interesting as you are here. So I want to thank you for being here. Thank you, Vince. We'll get you back. Vince, Tell thanks some for having me. Yeah, thank you. Okay.